Success, is it up there? Does it say identity? Awesome. Today is about identity. Today is, we're going to talk about going from orphanhood to sonship. I got a lot of cool things planned to say. And I got something fun for you at the end I hope you're going to be excited about. So I'm going to start with a little story. This guy right here, his name's Jimmy Valvano, a.k.a. Jimmy V is what they called him. Uh, he was a uh, uh, head coach of the North Carolina State Wolfpack in the 1982-83 uh, season. You know, everybody's heard of a Cinderella story, right? Everybody's heard of the team that wasn't supposed to that did. Uh, Jimmy V was the head coach of the, the Wolfpack in, in a year that they started out the season super low. They started out like they weren't even supposed to be anybody. They got to the, they got to the Final Four, and they got to, uh, they got to play Houston, uh, which had a team, I don't know if you guys remember these guys, but Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon, all those big names that we remember from the NBA, those guys were on the other team, okay? <laughs> so NC State was just kind of had some average dudes that was going in there. And uh, Jimmy V was the head coach, and he, he uh, brought them to victory that year. And one of the things about him is that um, – he really kind of struggled in life mentally with a lot of things. And when they asked him, uh, why is winning so important to you? He said, because the final score defines you. You lose, ergo, you're a loser. You win, ergo, you're a winner. It's a tough place to be, right? Because then your whole life, if you lose, your whole life you think you're a loser. Every game that you lose, you think you're a loser. I mentioned this last time I spoke, but I think we struggle with this as Christians a lot. I think we make our identity so much about what we do wrong. I'm a sinner, ergo, or I sin, ergo, I'm a sinner, right? Except we leave all the good parts out. We forget the fact that we're marching forward, kind of like Lena was talking about during worship. We forget the fact that we're getting up, we're rising, we're standing up. When we do fall, we get back up and push forward. We do get back up and walk into the things of righteousness and we get and we we turn and look Jesus in the face again. So we're gonna read a cool story, one of my favorites from the Bible, in John chapter five. If you want to turn there, I'm gonna be reading in the uh I'm gonna be reading in uh the, the passion, so it's going to look weird, but it'll be up there. So it's going to sound weird to you if you read along with me. But first, I just want to kind of want to kind of point out something before we start reading the story. That religion is paralyzing. That whole concept where we beat ourselves up, and I'll get into some points where we we kind of tear ourselves down, but sonship is promoting. Sonship is something that brings us into relationships. So the kind of the difference between today is going to be the difference between religion and the difference between relationship, but it's also the concept of orphanhood to sonship. So if I, those, those words are going to interlace today, religion and orphanhood, sonship, relationship. Sorry, this thing's still a little, a little uh, weird sounding, but are you guys okay? Okay. All right. So here we go. I'm going to just read along with you guys. So here we go again. John chapter 5, verse 1. Good, good story. So then Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate, 
there is a pool called in Aramaic, the house of loving kindness, where Bethesda is probably what your Bible says. And this pool is surrounded by five covered porches. Hundreds of sick people were lying there on the porches, the paralyzed, the blind, and the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters. And the first one who stepped into the pool after the water swirled would instantly be healed. Now there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years lying among the multitude of the sick. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be healed? Sick man answered him, sir, there's no way I can get healed. For I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately he stood up. He was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked again. Now this miracle took place on the Jewish Sabbath. When the Jewish leaders saw the man walking along carrying his sleeping mat, they objected and said, what are you doing carrying that? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to carry things on the Sabbath. He answered them, The man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. What man, they asked him, Who was this man who ordered you to carry something on the Sabbath? But the healed man couldn't give them an answer, for he didn't yet know who it was, since Jesus had already slipped away into the crowd. short time later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, Look at you now. You're healed. <laughs> Walk away from your sins so that nothing worse will happen to you. Then the man went to the Jewish leaders to inform them that it was Jesus who healed me. So I just wanted to kind of point out, looking at this story, I know it's a story we've all heard like a thousand times probably. If you come to church anywhere, this is one of the big ones, right? But one of the things that this does is what I was talking about. Orphanhood says, there's no way I can get healed. Those were his exact words. Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get healed, man? And, G- and the guy says, there's no way. I can't get in the pool. I can't climb over there. Every time that the, the, the water stirs, every time that it comes up, I'm over here. I'm an orphan, left alone. Nobody wants to walk me into the pool. But one of the things that sonship does says, stand up. You will walk. Because Jesus knows who he is. And he says, you will walk. And one of the things kind of just wanted to point out a couple things so that we can see because maybe maybe what I'm saying isn't going to point exactly at something that you've dealt with in your life so I'm going to try to list off a couple of things I'm going to talk about your view of of something and then I'm going to talk about the heart of an orphan and what they might do in regards to that thing and then I'm going to talk about the heart of the son so these are going to be the heart of an orphan versus the heart of the son when we're talking about your image of God The heart of an orphan might say, God is a master, versus the heart of a son who says, God is my father. Your need for approval, which is okay, we all want to be approved of. We want to succeed. We want to do life well, right? But our need for approval, if the heart of an orphan might say, I'm striving for praise, while the heart of a son says, I'm fully accepted. The things like they call it the Christian disciplines, like reading the Bible, praying, coming to church. Some of these things, like an orphan might see it as motivated by duty. 
I have to do this. I have to get this done. I have to read my Bible today or he won't accept me. I have to come to church today or they won't accept me. While a son or a daughter says, this is pleasing to me to read the word of my father. This is pleasing to me to come fellowship with my people, to come be with my family. This is pleasing to me. When it comes to self-image, that's one of the tough ones, I think. This is one of the biggest ones that many of us probably struggle with. But one of the things that happens with the heart of an orphan is that there's self-rejection. But the heart of a son or a daughter has a positive self-image. When it comes to relationships, the heart of an orphan might be competitive and jealous while the heart of a son comes with humility to each other. We come and we value each other and we see each other for who they are. And our expressions of love, this is another one that gets tough. The orphan's heart might say, be guarded, and they might give love conditionally while the heart of a son is open and patient and affectionate. And one of the big things is that we all struggle with is the future because we don't know what it holds. So what the heart of a, an orphan might do with, with the future is say, I have to fight. I have to fight for what I want. I have to fight to get this. I have to fight to get there. Kind of like Jimmy V might have been saying, I have to fight. You have to fight. This is the only way is if I win, then they see me as a winner. I have to fight. But the heart of a son releases your inheritance. It releases who you are into existence because you believe that you are the son or daughter of the living God. And so you can just walk out of your inheritance in peace. You can walk out in calmness and in quiet and know that your future is held in his hands. See, religion says, that's rooted in the heart of an orphan. Religion says, what are you doing carrying that mat? What are you doing? It's the Sabbath, man. What are you picking your mat up for? This guy sat there for 38 years trying to get in that pool, couldn't walk, couldn't do nothing. And their thing was, hey, dude, why are you carrying your mat? It's Sunday or, well, Saturday. Are you kidding? <laughs> right? I mean, that's so crazy. But that's what, that's what a heart of an orphan does because they're striving so much to be right. They're striving so hard to do the right thing in the eyes of God that they can't even see that the father came down and touched somebody and blessed his life and got him walking in 38 seconds what he couldn't do in 38 years. But sonship says that's rooted in the heart of a son. It says pick up your mat. I saw this for real in life, like real life. This whole thing, this was so cool, okay? I was working on this. Literally, I was working on this sermon about last Wednesday. Not this last one, but the one before. So, little Miss Sayla. I'm going to tell you a story about her because it's the true heart of a daughter or a son that I saw in my own kid, and it was pretty cool. So, I have this app on my phone that I can take control of my children's phones. <laughs> so I can shut them off. I can turn them on. I can grant them access. I can deny them access. I have them set up on timers. So at 8.30 for the littles, 
Their phones shut off. Now they know it's time to go to bed. There's certain times throughout the day they know they're not supposed to have them. If they have them, I take out my phone and I shut them off. It's this interesting futuristic way to discipline also. Like you can take things away. You know what I'm saying? It's a pretty cool deal. On Wednesday nights, they go and they go to grandma's and they have dinner. And then we come, we come here and we're at, we have church. And so 8.30 is kind of when we get home. So almost every single Wednesday, I get a text that says, this is my phone right here. I get a text that says, Daddy, can you read that? Okay, good. You can see it. I knew it was going to be small, but I wanted it to look cool. So this is what's happening. Daddy, can we have some extra time? Because it's 830 and their phones are shut off. The texts still work so that they can tell me that something horrible is happening, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> so I don't shut the text off. But so that she could text me and say, Daddy, can we have some extra time? And while I'm reading that, this next text comes through. And she says, okay, thanks, Dad. You're the best daddy in the whole world. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, smiley face, smiley face. Except for I hadn't said anything yet. <laughs> right? Here's the next text. Oops, that's what I was going to say after. After what? <laughs> after I said yes. Right? That's the true heart of a son or a daughter right there. She knows that I have goodwill for her. She knows that I want her to enjoy herself. She knows that at 8.30 she ran out of time, but they've had a long day, and so she just wants to play. So I say, yeah, okay, I got you, buddy. And I gave her 15 extra minutes so that they could play. But that's what it's about. This is what, this is what we should be coming to the Father with, right? We should come to the Father and say, I need healing. And before he even answers, okay, thanks, Daddy. Thanks, because it's already there. The answer's already there. How cool that I'm sitting there working on that and my daughter gives me a little story. But here's what I thought, though. What if, what if all the thoughts that we think all the time, all these negative things that just tear us up all the time in our heads, that we're always constantly tearing us up, what if those were to come up on the phone? So she says, Daddy, can we have some extra time? And then all of a sudden she says, he's never going to let me. I don't even know why I ask. I can't ask for more. He already has given me so much time as it is. Or she might say, what do, who do I think I am to ask him for more time? How many of you in your heads have said that at some point in your life? If you haven't, I'm calling you out right now. You're awesome. But if I have a million times said, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that, God. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve my friends. I don't deserve my wife, my family. I don't, he's never, and then I've always thought that too. How many times have you said that? God, I need this. But then, oh, he's never going to give me that. Never going to happen. And that, that's because we struggle. It might not be in every area of life, but there's many places that we struggle with an orphan heart. Like, we're sons and daughters everywhere else in the day, but every once in a while that thing comes up where we struggle with that orphan heart. It might be a personal relationship with one person. It might be me with the way that I see somebody that I work with, you know? And then anger comes out, or, you know, or, you know, I don't know, I can't, I don't gossip, so I don't really know that one, but gossip, I don't, it's not a thing. I don't know that boys do it, maybe they do. Maybe I just, I'm the kind that doesn't do it. 
But gossip, you might say something about somebody. It's because you have a heart of an orphan where you're worried about your own identity, so you talk about somebody else, you know. You get concerned about all these things. And man, I just, I want us to leave here today with the heart of a son or a daughter in all aspects of our lives. And I know it's something that takes work. I know it's something that's, you know, it's, it's, we're gonna, I'm going to walk out the door and do something stupid today. I promise you, I will think something dumb today. So you don't ever beat yourself up over it. And this is, okay, so here we go. I'm going to write this. This is where it's going to get a little tough because i gotta, I got to be honest with you for a second. One of the big issues that I believe we have in Christianity is that we're always feeling a need to validate ourselves to God or to other people. Yet all the time we're internally kind of doing what I was saying, kind of internally tearing ourselves down, constantly beating ourselves up. Then, then we try to get back here on Sunday and fix it all up before we go out the doors and start tearing ourselves down again. Kind of like what I said, I'm going to walk out and do something stupid today. Promise. But what we try to do is that we sit there and we tear ourselves down over and over and over six, seven days a week. And then we get back here on Sunday and try to put it all back together in an hour and a half. And so what I was trying to look at is like, look at this. This is my hot rod. I'm going to have one one day. It's not mine yet. Well, that right there is a beautiful 1969 Corvette Stingray. And I say, this is what I'm trying to say, okay? It's like having a beautiful, pristine hot rod. On Monday, I go out to my garage, and I get my manual out. Got my manual. And I start pulling it apart. I start pulling my my car apart piece by piece. On Tuesday, I pull off the doors and the hood and the trunk. On Wednesday, I pull out the seats and the gas tank. Thursday, I take off the bumpers and the body. Friday, I start in on the engine, every bolt, every hose, every fuse, all the way through Saturday. I meticulously break down my hot rod as I pull each piece off. I tell it how broken it is. You're never going to get back together, car. You're never going to be good enough, car. You're never going to do it. Then Sunday comes, and I try to put it all back together in an hour and a half. Good luck, right? Jerry knows. You can't even put an alternator back together maybe in an hour and a half. I don't know. You probably can. I can't. But I'm saying, like, that's what it, this is what it's like. This is what we're doing with ourselves. So we're taking that hot rod and we're turning it into this. I know that's a different car, but that's the only picture I could find that had a bunch of pieces of cars, okay? We take our hot rod and we turn it into this. And then we come back in here at 1030 on Sunday. All right, I'm ready to put them back together, man. Let's go. You see how inefficient that is? But I have my manual telling me how great my hot rod is. This is telling me how good I am. It's telling me that I'm a son. It's telling me that I'm a daughter. It's telling me that I have healing at my fingertips. It's telling me that I'm good. It's telling me that I'm healthy. I got all this manual, but I'm tearing it all apart. I'm taking, I'm, I'm doing the opposite of what this manual is trying to get me to do. I spend all week knowing every intimate detail and every part about all the things. Man, look at that piece. That piece is ugly. Look at that piece. Oh man, that piece, that piece will never, never be good enough for this car. Even though it was the same piece that came off that car. You get me? 
I memorize every single line of my manual. Memorization. But one problem is I don't ever drive my hot rod because I'm trying to put it back for an hour and a half a week while taking it apart all week. And some of us don't even want to tell anyone that we have a hot rod. Some of us want to keep it in our garage. I got a beautiful car, but I'm not going to tell nobody because look at it, it's in pieces. And I'm going to tell you, just because you don't beat yourself up, because some of you guys here might not do that, because you're successful mentally, and I'm proud of you for it. And some of you might not do that, but some of us, we don't tear our, part, our car apart every week, but all we do is we take it out, we drive it around the same block, and then we back it back in. And then next Sunday we take it out, drive it around the same block, and we put it back in for 5, 10, 15, 20 years driving that same block. I'm getting what I need out of it because it's driving me from one place to another, but that one place is the garage. You know what I'm saying? So that might be something that some of us struggle with. But the biggest thing and the reason why I think a lot of us do this is because we feel powerless. Because we have our heart in pieces. I forgot I was going to say that. I sang that. Cool. Uh, yeah, we have our heart in pieces. Like take your heart and make it into that car picture where all the pieces are planted on the wall. We have our heart in pieces and we feel powerless. We don't want to take the car out because we don't want to scratch the car. I don't, want to, I don't want to mess up what I got, so I'm going to just keep it right here. I'm going to do what I got to do with it. I promise I'm going to get somewhere positive with this. I'm not beating you up today. I'm trying to help you see what we do, what I do, okay? We don't want to mess up the interior. We don't want to have somebody see us in our hot rod and think that we're arrogant because of our hot rod. We might be afraid to hit the gas, because we might make a mistake and get in an accident. So I'm t I might be just, I know that God can heal. I know that I have everything at my, my disposal to live out this Christian walk. But I'm afraid to step out and lay my hands on a sick. I might be afraid to step out and communicate the goodness of his gospel. Or we might think, I can't go out beyond this block. I can't teach an old dog new tricks. This is my block. I'm good at this block. So I'm going to stay in this block. But there's so many more blocks, you know, because his love is forever and endless, and it goes on with fullness of power. So we got many more blocks we could, we could block or drive our car around. My personal struggle, so my personal struggle is kind of from a different, a different maybe perspective because I grew up in the church, okay? So I've been seeing the church since I was born, basically, I was like five years old when we started here. Uh, so my biggest thing is many times, and not just in people that came to our church, but just in ch the church in general, as I was growing up, a lot of my experience came, I was taught many, many things. I was taught all these cool stuff about the Bible, and I was taught this, and then here and there, I'd see people who taught me that or see somebody who was saying that to me not doing the thing that they said. So me being Mr. Black and White with my brain, obviously it's a joke. 
right? That's where my brain went as a Christian. I was trying to be a Christian and I'm looking at watching people. You're not doing what you said you said. So that's my biggest struggle. I don't want to be that guy. So if I don't say nothing, then nobody can hold me accountable. You know what I'm saying? If I don't say anything to anybody about what I got going on, this relationship that I got, then if I fail, they can't, they can't hold it against me, I guess is my biggest thing. Gene Moran and I were having a conversation a, while, a little couple weeks back where we were talking about how we have so much faith, we have so much heart, we have so much, like, so much passion, she and I. And many of you do, but here's one of the greatest lines that I've ever written down, and I hope that it will go down in history. But I feel powerless all the time. Because I want to set the whole world on fire for God, but I am terrified to strike the match. Absolutely terrified. Every second of my life, I know I have what you need. I walk into the grocery store and I can see depression on somebody's face. I have what you need, but I'm not going to give it to you because I don't want to fail you. That's me being real right here, okay? My guy's at work. I had one of my, my secretary at work, almost had to have her foot amputated. Did I pray for her? Yeah, but only because the other Christian at the job recommended we do it. But I know I got what she needs. But I don't want to be the failure. I'm terrified to strike the match, right? And then I had this great revelation over the last two weeks that really shifted everything for me. And this is where it starts to get good, okay? promise. Jesus was also powerless. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, does it? It does, but it doesn't at the same time. But this is what we know from Philippians chapter 2. That he existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. That now came after all this. That now, see, see, Jesus had made himself a slave to human form. He lowered himself to the point of death at the hands of religion. He orphaned himself at the cross. He orphaned himself at the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? He was orphaned at that moment. He had no father. And he did that so that you and I could join the family. <sighs> Come on, man. Right? But here's the cool thing. He fed the 4,000, powerless. He fed the 5,000, powerless. He healed the sick, powerless. He cleansed the lepers, powerless. Cast out demons, powerless. He walked on water, powerless. He raised Lazarus from the dead, powerless. And in John chapter 21, verse 25, John says, we couldn't contain everything that Jesus did in the entire earth. And he did all that powerless because he knew who he was. 
He knew that he was the son of the living God. And even in human form, he can walk with power because he brings God with him everywhere he goes. You see, it's not that Jesus was powerful because he was a human, but it was because he knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew he was a son of the living God, so he was able to walk out with power and authority. He becomes powerful when he claims his identity and steps out into who he's meant to be. And he starts striking the match everywhere he goes. Every single place that he went, people were healed. If they came to him and they were sick, they left healthy. That's just the way it goes, right? That's what we have. It's the same father. And Jesus himself even said, guess what? You all get to do greater things. Come on. And it's because he aligned himself. So let's just align ourselves this morning, right? Do you believe that the same Father lives in you? You have the access to the same Father through his Holy Spirit, through his Son's death on the cross, so that you and I could join the family. We get to walk in power. As powerless human beings, we get to walk in power because we get to walk out our identity. So we all have to start believing in ourselves and our Father all the way. Myself included, right? Because I'm terrified to strike the match. I said that so that we all know that I'm with you. And when I preach, I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you guys. It's just You get to hear me talk about it. And I started thinking about all these heroes of the faith, right? They're a bunch of nobodies just like you and me. Nobody. Nothing. Abraham, he hit the gas when he brought the son of promise up to the mountain. Or he struck the match, I could say that too. You get it? Moses, he hit the gas when he raised the staff and saw miracle after miracle. Didn't do anything. You believe that? It's the same thing as if I raise my axe, my guitar, and I start to strum People can be healed while I play that thing. People can be healed as Lena's voice sings, as Faith's voice sings, as your voice sings. Joshua, he hit the gas when he entered the promised land and murdered everything that moves. <laughs> Sorry, I find joy in that. That's my, that's my thing. David, the master of positive speech. David was this awesome guy but he always had these his talk will you go read through them psalms forever you are great or forever you are worthy you're always there for me you bless me you keep me come now come quickly that's the kind of talk we can do too right the positive speech it and so there's all these things in the world that try to say, if you speak positively, everything will happen. Well, not necessarily the case, but if we speak positive thoughts, then that gets us places. And so I just want to encourage us to try to start, whenever you say, I can't, or whenever you say something like, oh, he'll never give that to me, change it. Change it right there. Take every thought captive, like Pastor Terry says, change it and says, he'll always give me what I need. Esther, she hit the gas when Mordecai said she could, she could have been here for such a time as this. 
Elijah hit the gas literally when he called down fire from heaven. Right? Struck the match. Done. Fire from heaven. And this, I love this. It's not going to be up there, but, well, maybe I did put it up there because you need to see it. Paul and Romans. Paul, like, Paul's my guy, right? We all love Paul. But watch this, what he says. This is, what, this is how we should be talking to ourselves and to each other. This is Paul when he's getting ready to come to the Romans. Is it, yeah, yeah. I am convinced that when I come to you, I will come packed, full, and loaded with the blessings of the anointed one. See, he's not at church yet. He hasn't hit Sunday morning yet. If I put it into our view, right? If I put it into our perspective, he's not there yet. He's writing them a letter. This is what we're at home. This is when we're at home. This is what I should be thinking about when I'm coming to talk to you. I'm coming packed full and loaded with the blessings and anointing, the blessings of the anointed one. So when I come here, I'm not trying to put my own car back together. I'm blasting up through the door in my hot rise saying, I'm here. Let's go. I got everything for you guys. I have everything that I am because you need everything I am. And I need everything you are. I can't do this. Like I've said a thousand times, I could stand up here and sing all by myself. But if you guys aren't here, I'm just practicing. You know what I'm saying? I need Fred. I need Jerry. I need Irene. I need you guys. I need you. I can't do this without you. This is how we build our lives, right? This is how we do it together. I'm convinced that when I come to you, I will come packed full and loaded with blessings of the anointed one. Oh boy, here's where it gets good. I've been working on something for a little bit for you guys. I'm so excited about today. Because we're talking about identity, right? Do you see this ugly background I've had up here the whole time? It's gross kind of looking, right? Yeah, it's gross. It's got a point, though. I kind of feel like this is where we're at right now is new life. Kind of got all of our pieces spread out over the garage floor. And it don't look right because it's not together. But I want to start putting this back together by casting some vision at you guys. And if you are here for the first time and you're not necessarily a new lifer, welcome. Welcome. You can be a part of what we got going on too. Promise. So if you're not a new lifer, it's okay because some of the things that I'm saying today don't have anything to do with being a new lifer until right now. But if I start casting some vision to you and I say, in the summer of 1985, God gave pastors Terry and Suzette a vision to bring new life to the city of Grand Forks. And if I tell you, God wants every person, this is something that we believe as new lifers, if I tell you that God wants every person to experience a life of fullness through a growing relationship with him, and at new life, our goal is to love God and love people through persistent and faithful action. And that we, here at New Life, are pursuing everything connected with life as God intends it to be through healing, deliverance, and wholeness. We've had so many promises spoken over our church, over our leaders, 
over ourselves. We've had so many promises spoken over new life. We relentlessly pursue and we constantly are asking for his glory. From that stage, from the floor, we've prayed many, many nights. They pray every morning before we have church. This is a house of worship, like a planted tree planted by streams of living water, a house of worship. We're a house of healing, where out of you will flow rivers of living water, and we are a house of teaching, like oaks of righteousness and truth. You are new life. This is our new face. I've been working on it for a while. It took me a long time. That's our new face. We needed a new face. The other one's good, but we needed a new face because we're moving in some new directions. Your new life. Whether you come here once a month, once a year, once a week, Three times a week, your new life. You're all new lifers. You have everything, everything that you need in your Father. And we want, as a church, to provide a place of refuge to our city. We want to be a place that. See, that's the thing that's cool about this river is that it looks like it's flowing in and it looks like it's flowing out to me. And that's what it's all about for us. That's what new life's all about. Those oaks of righteousness, we believe in truth. Because in the summer of 1985, God gave pastors Terry and Suzette a vision to bring new life to the city of Grand Forks. God wants every person to experience a life of fullness through a growing relationship with him. And at New Life, our goal is to love God and love people through persistent and faithful action. We are pursuing everything connected with life as God intends it to be through healing, deliverance, and wholeness. That's who you are. Amen? That's who you are. And I want to just show something really quick. Just a little side. This is, I know. This is not us, but I want to show you something. Hopefully it plays. Is it going to play for me? Can you see the picture at least? Okay. I don't know if you can read at the bottom. This is Bill Johnson, and he says, The waving hands are people who have just been healed. Siberia is hungry for Jesus. 5,000 people attended this healing conference from all over Russia. You see all those hands? All the way to the back, there's hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. That's Siberia. That's Siberia, the place that's supposed to be the place where nobody goes. And if you do go there, you went there because you're bad. You went there to be imprisoned. That's them. So I'm telling you right now, don't think our town's too small. Don't think our city doesn't have what it takes. Don't think if you live out in the outlying areas, don't think our region doesn't have what it takes. Because we weren't even designed to be a horrible place for people to get sent when they did something wrong. We were a place that people came. And they settled here. Because our city has purpose. 
Our city's seen revival once before. It's seen it once before. We saw it once before. And it's seen it probably another time before that. Not really sure on the history. But I know Amy came through here. Amy Simple McPherson, the, the woman who started the Foursquare movement and all that. She came here to this city, spreading revival. That's our roots. That's our foundation. This is who we are. And I wanted to tell you this. I wanted to show this video because it's not just for Bill. It's not just for Randy Clark. It's not just for so-and-so or whoever you can come up with right now. It's not just for them. It's for us. Joanne, the next time you're in Jerusalem, that's for you. This right here, that little, all that hand-waving, it's going to come up again. I don't know, but it's for you. Gail, next time that you're at a Celebrate Recovery meeting, that's for you. Pastor Terry, next time you're at an EHV weekend, we already saw the beginnings of it at his EHV weekends. He's experiencing his victory weekends. Two or three healings he came back with, but that right there is for you. Hundreds. That's what we're designed for. May not look like it yet, but that's the call. That's the call on our house. I believe that with everything that I am since I'm little, I've believed that. But here I am, the guy, I'm the guy who's got all the faith and doesn't want to strike the match. So I believe everything in the universe is mine until I go to reach out for it. You know what I mean? Until I go to take it. That's, that's me. Lena and Jean Marie, next time you're having a Rama Fit class, that's for you. Preston, when you're selling or buying a house, that's for you, man. Those blessings are for you. Our destiny as new lifers is to fill the Ralph and the Alaris at the same time with the presence of God, his healing power. That's our destiny. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what it takes, but we're going to go. If it means we need a new face so that we can do that, then we got a new face. You're new lifers. How's that look big? Oh, it still looks pretty good. There's green in there. That screen doesn't, isn't doing it. It's not making it beautiful, but I'm okay with that because that's not the point. The point is that you guys are beautiful. And you have, something for, you have something for me. You have something for our city. You have something for your own city. Your own farm. You're out there by yourself, but you... You have it. This is yours. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I'm saying. You're new lifers. Let's step off. Let's step off the orphanhood thing and step in as sons and daughters. Let's embrace the truth of who we are as new lifers. Let's begin to embrace the fact that we're going to lead people. We're going to lead our city into the kingdom. Let's start believing that. And if you need prayer for this this morning, I'm going to do this separate because I know that we're going to do others, some other healing. But if you have issues with, with your mind and you have issues where you're constantly beating yourself up or defeating yourself up or defeating yourself constantly just at war, I'm not going to ask that we all come running forward to the altar. But if you would, just stand so if that's you, just stand right now. And I want to pray for you.
And I'm asking you to stand because it's a thing. It's a thing to stand. It's saying, look, it's me. It's the thing that, you know, if you need to raise your hands, I feel like sometimes I want to stand on tippy toes, see if I can get closer. You know what I'm saying? I want to get up there. Come on, touch me, God. So I'm just going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the courage of these people in this room to stand before you. There's no shame in this house. There's no shame in this house in Jesus' name. Only peace. So, Father, I pray that you would just begin right now, even just realigning thought processes, Father. The different pathways of their minds that have been beaten, those roads that have been beaten hard and have been widely opened in their brains, Father. I pray that you would just begin to close those ones and start opening other neural pathways that are saying, I am a son. I am a daughter. I am the one that can change my family. I am the one that can change my community. I am the one that can change my workplace. I am the one that can bring your life, God. I am the one that can bring sonship into every situation that I have. Father, I pray for their minds that there would be peace over their minds, Lord. All the areas that they start to say things that even when they walk out, because it's going to be hard, especially probably today, because they stood and all of heaven and earth saw it. So it's going to be hard today. But Father, I pray as they go and they start to have those negative thoughts, I'll never do this, that it will turn in their minds, that you'll remind them that I will always. When they say, I'm not good enough, that it'll change immediately. And it starts to come out of their mouth, I am good enough. When it says, I'm ugly, that it'll change to I'm beautiful. When it says I'm broken, that it'll come and say, I'm restored, I'm whole. Lord, when it comes in their minds, start to tell them that they'll never amount to anything. Lord, I pray that you would change their mind and breathe your life upon them and say that you will result in my everything. Father, I thank you for these minds. I thank you for these people. And I pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name that your fire would consume them and wash away all the pain, wash away all the sadness, wash away all the, the, this, the mental health and the sickness of the mind that causes us to believe that we aren't good enough. And let us step into our sonship of who you are. Let us step into the relationship of child and father that we can walk our ways full of power and full of grace and full of might in your mighty name. Jesus, I pray, amen.